You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Jay Zygma, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. I have to admit that I've occasionally found myself fantasizing. Things would be so much easier if I didn't have children. This is especially true when it comes to finances. They have cost far more than expected. Even when we are trying to be sensible, For instance, our love of the public and tax-supported school system was not enough to keep my daughter in an environment in which she was being relentlessly bullied. Our best and only other option, a private school, ended up costing the equivalent of a college tuition for five whole years. But it's not just envy, but something more sinister. I often see a downright dismissal of the child-free journey in many personal finance realms. Of course they paid off all their debt in just four years. They don't have kids. In many ways, it is viewed as a shortcut, an easy button, perhaps cheating. Yet the demographics are changing. My children are two of nine grandchildren, all in their teens and 20s. Of the whole lot, only one is planning on having children, and a few of the others are vehemently opposed. Child-free wealth is a growing trend in America and will be for the foreseeable future. Today, we'll talk about it on Earn and Invest. Jay Zygmunt is the founder of Child Free Wealth, a life and financial planning firm dedicated to helping child-free and permanently childless people. Dr. Jay is a certified financial planner and author of the book, Portraits of Child-Free Wealth. He is also the co-host of the Child-Free Wealth podcast. His PhD is in adult learning from the University of Connecticut. Jay, welcome to Earn and Invest. I read your book, Portraits of Child-Free Wealth, cover to cover, and found a lot of valuable insight Yet I noticed that you do have some harsh critics. I'm going to quote here from a review. They say you are a self-gratifying man congratulating yourself for dedicating to a life of meaningless consumerism and laziness. I would never trade my four kids and the joys that come with spending time with them in exchange for having more money in my bank account. It raises the question that I think a lot of people have, is being child-free selfish? I don't know if it's selfish or not. I'll come back to it just one second. I love these reviews. I actually had somebody that put one of those reviews before the book had come out. <laughs> and like it went through this whole like spiel about it. And I'm like, wait a minute, you haven't read the book and you're already judging. And, and that is the truth. I mean, people say, well, being child free is selfish. And I go, well, I don't know if it is or isn't. I mean, everybody gets to make their own choice. The difference is child free folks have put a whole lot of time and thought into this concept and said, nope. It's not right for me for whatever reason. You know, there's people, you know, and I actually studied this for the book and some people just didn't want to have kids. Some people's finances, some people's freedom, some people's medical reasons, environment, all different 
reasons, people, well, you're selfish. I'm going, wait, what's selfish about not wanting to pass on generational trauma or not wanting to put financial burdens on someone? And people go, well, but but who's going to take care of when you're older? And like all this judgment that just comes. And I mean, I'm in, I run child-free wealth in Mississippi. It's deep in the South and in a post-real world. The judgment is nonstop. But really, I'm going, what are you judging? I mean, we're just living our best lives. You live yours. I don't get a vote in your life. You don't get a vote in mine. We're going to talk in a moment about specifically why people decide to be child free. But let's talk about your personal journey. When did you make this decision? And was there a lot of pushback from family and friends? Yeah. So my wife and I, we've been married oh, 14 years or so. And uh, oh, that's a quiz question. I guess I should get that right. But 14 years <laughs> is what we're going to say. Yeah, that sounds good. And, 14 years. <laughs> and uh, when we got married, found out she's a 50-50 chance of dying if she gets pregnant. So she's got her medical issues. I'm going to be honest, it made our choice pretty simple for us. And it's interesting because people often, you know, well, you're child free, you hate kids or make these judgments. And I'm like, no, I just didn't want my wife to die. You know, like it's kind of where it went. And whether it's by choice or not, I don't know. I call myself child free. People who not by choice tend to call themselves child blessed. But that was it. And Here's an interesting one. We went to get married and my wife was raised in the Catholic church and her family wanted to get married in Catholic church. Cool. I was raised Methodist. No biggie either way. Said, go to Catholic church, go to the priest. They say, well, you have to agree to raise your kids Catholic. We said, fine. We're not having any. We'll agree to raise them Catholic. He goes, oh no, you have to agree to have kids and raise them Catholic. We couldn't even get married in the Catholic church. So when you talk about judgment and all the other things, I mean, it started there and uh, went downhill from there in many cases. Yeah, I've heard that about the Catholic Church, I think, because um, they don't necessarily believe in birth control, right? So this idea of not having children is just somewhat anathema. And we see that in lots of religions. I think it's important, too, that we define exactly what you mean by child-free, because you talk about it extensively in your book. And family structures are very different nowadays than they were 20, 30, 40 years ago. So what exactly do you mean by child-free? Yeah. So the way we define it is people who don't have kids and aren't planning on having kids. So if you go online, people go, hey, I'm child free for the weekend. No, no, no. That's not (laughs) our point. Like from a financial planning standpoint, your plan changes when you're when kids are never going to be in the picture. Now, child free tends to be people by choice. Childless tends to be not by choice. And we let people use their own terms. But what happens is that key point is when it's not a choice. So we have people, it's not going to happen. So we have people, the, the term used to be called dinks, dual income, no kids. Well, there's a big difference between being a dink and what we call a dinky, dual income, no kids yet. Yeah, those are going to change it. So if you're still trying to conceive, you're still not sure about having kids, all the standard financial plan, when there's never going to be kids in the picture, that's where child-free finances shift. And I feel like there's also a mindset piece to it, although this was rare in your book. The book is a series of vignettes. But one person you did discuss was dating someone who had a child and they were trying to figure out their life and what that was going to look like. But it obviously gets a little complicated, right? Yeah. And that was an interesting story. So JC's in there. She's talking about her portrait of compromise, what we called it. And we had this great discussion because she had actually started dating someone and didn't know he had kids and then found out later he did. And the question was, is that acceptable? And by the way, I'm not judging. It's up to you. I mean, that's completely up to you. And she was like, well, I don't know. I don't know. And she actually emailed me later and said, hey, I broke up with him. And I kind of felt bad because like maybe I started <laughs> questions. 
But it's one of those in the community, the big discussion. You know, if it's somebody else who is more in kind of a, a polyamorous uh, routine, will never get married. She's dating somebody who has kids and it's okay because it's not going to be part of her financial picture. I, whatever works for you is what works. You know, I'm not here to like, you know, gatekeep and say who's child free or who's not. And let's get the facts out right now. Is building wealth easier if you were child free? I mean, is it a basic fact? Can we agree on that? So the way I like to say it is being child free does not automatically make you rich. So income disparities are still the case. You know, so there's something in the book who their big goal was they had moved from being on an air mattress to being on an actual mattress. You know, so income disparities are there. Now, living a life of child-free wealth means you have more time, money, and freedom. doesn't necessarily mean a higher net worth. If you look at the census numbers, they found that single childless women over 55 have the highest net worth over the next group, which is fathers, but only by a couple thousand dollars, and it wasn't statistically significant. And part of that may be because that's not our goal. You know, dying with zero is more the goal than having a giant net worth. Yes, we don't have to pay the whatever is $18,000 on average per year that costs for a kid. And that's there. But there's no like fairy that comes through with a check and says, hey, you're child free. And all of a sudden you're rich. And I would add to that just being child free doesn't mean that life is easy or not problematic, right? Because when we learn from your vignettes is, these are people with struggles, just like people who have kids. Maybe the struggles are slightly different, but still defining a sense of purpose, deciding what you're going to do with your everyday life and financial struggles are all very real, whether you have kids or not. Yeah, I spend half my time talking to child-free folks about their finances and the other time talking to financial people about being about child-free people. And I was at a conference recently and somebody was out there speaking and they said, well, getting divorced when you don't have kids is so much easier. And I'm like, hold on, like there is way too much judgment in that statement. You have no clue what anyone's life is like. It, you know, it's different. It is not easier, not harder. It's different. And I just think people just jump to these judgments and say, well, child-free people have it easy. And that is all their stuff they're putting on to those other people. You know, and it's amazing to me. I have so many people praying for my soul and this and the other. And, you know, I'm making the wrong choices. I'm like, okay, fine. But really what they're doing is they're reflecting themselves onto others. You know, we often get this question, well, what if you regret it? You know, and my argument is I'd much rather regret not having kids than have kids and regret it. Like seriously, because there are, there's such things called parental regret. You know, the most, yeah, we don't th- talk about it a lot. On oh, the other hand, on the other hand, every parent I know when you get them in vulnerable moments will say, you know, I love my kids, but I kind of am, you know, feeling quite under a bit of duress, either financially or emotionally. And, and this idea of not having kids, not so horrible at the moment. Well, and we get a lot of honesty from people. And the most honest thing I ever heard is, I love my kids. I hate being a parent. And I was like, ooh, that's a, that's a way to put it that makes sense. And people go, well, you're going to regret being child-free. I'm like, you're putting that on us. The actual yeah. data says that people don't. You know, maybe I'll regret not being an astronaut too, but like, I'm not going to change anything because I wasn't an astronaut. Yeah. The the advice I give to people. So occasionally I, as someone who has kids, has someone come and ask me, oh, you know, tell me about your decision to have kids or not. Someone who's contemplating having children. And I guess the best answer I can give is exactly that. I love my children, but now seeing them 16 and 19, if we had had some type of medical problem and we couldn't have had kids, I think I 
knowing what I now know now, I would be at peace with that. On the other hand, I can't uh, I can't even imagine living a life different than the one I live now. And I guess that's my my way of coming to terms with the fact of acknowledging that kids add a whole different part to your life emotionally and financially. And it's not all good. I mean, some of it's just downright difficult and painful. Well, and and I, you know, I don't judge them and I'm just asking them, hey, not judge me. You know, like it's yeah. just, you know, in an ideal world, your life choice would be your life choice. I think what we find though is that the standard life script says you go to school, you get married, you have kids, you buy the house, you retire, you pass the generation. That is so ingrained in culture and religion and life that anyone that goes against it, you know, the technical term, you're a deviant. You know, you've deviated from the plan. People are like, oh, you're doing the wrong thing. No, I'm doing my own thing. Yeah, you use the term life script. And I also think about the American dream, right? And I think they're or the American dream script. And I think they're very similar ideas. It's not easy to go against the grain, especially I think in the older generations. As I was mentioning in my introduction, the kids actually nowadays are looking at climate change and the political upheaval. And a lot of them are voicing, you know, I don't know if I want to bring kids into this world, but certainly in the older generations, you were really being outside the norm if you said, I don't want to have kids. So why do people make this decision? Is it as varied as the number of people? Or are there some real central themes to why do people decide not to have kids? So when you look at the number, actually, interestingly enough, most people had more than one reason why they picked it. And I'm going to go over some of the top ones just for fun. So the number one reason at 38% was just never wanted children. So they knew from the young age, just didn't want to. And there's that population. 30% said finances. 27% said freedom, 15% said environmental, 13% to shy of 14% said they just don't like kids, which is a judgment everybody jumps at. Well, you child you don't like kids. No, it's there's percentage, but not really. But then it gets into really interesting things of like medical issues, personal medical and health issues. They don't want to pass things down, mental health issues where they don't want to pass down mental health concerns, pregnancy concerns, family trauma. I mean, like heavy, heavy, deep stuff of why people are being child-free. And I think what I found is no two people are the same on you know kind of how they got there, but they put a lot of thought and effort into it, which is different. You know, you talk to a lot of parents are like, yeah, I didn't really think about it. It was just kind of like what you do, and just kind of happened, or it was oops, or whatever you want to call it. And child free folks are putting thought in it, and people go, well, they're going to change their minds. There's, there's somebody in the book, 21, who's sterilized. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm this is they're not changing their mind. You know, I was captivated by the vignettes. And and one thing that hit me over and over again, I was going to wait to talk about this later, but I just, I, it was so profound. I feel like almost everyone at some point mentioned freedom, that freedom was just so essential to this decision. But in a sense, I'm not actually sure what that means, because it's one of these big amorphous terms is freedom the thread that seemed to carry throughout when you were interviewing people? You know, it's not only when I'm interviewing people, it's when I'm working with clients. And I'll give you an example of this. So most people set up you know, standard financial plan. If I take any two parents' financial plans, they're actually very similar. Just the numbers change slightly. But number of kids, number of money, and when you retire, those numbers change. But child-free folks, they're all over the place. So a great example is I'm working my second book and my editor, her and her dog live in a Airbnb for a month in a different area of the U.S. and just move. Like I'm like, where are you this week? Joshua Tree. Where are you next week? For tomorrow. It's it's a level of freedom that is completely different. And I got clients that will have three different sets of goals in a year because who knows where they're going. 
you know, where we talk about file is financial independence liberally and, and dialing in life and following your passions at a rate that some parents could do, but you just don't have that. You know, the van life, the living as an expat, all these things, whatever you want to call freedom to you, in some cases, just freedom to be able to tell your boss, you know what, I don't like this job. I'm going to move across country and go to somewhere else. My wife and I, we embrace something we call the gardener and the rose where one's growing, one's providing support. She got a great job opportunity. It's 1,200 miles away. We packed up the dog and the cat and went. We can do that. That's that level of freedom. And it's different for each person, but it's the same theme of I can live my best life whenever I'm ready. Maybe it's selfish. Back to your original question. Yeah. Yeah. And who knows? I, I don't even know. You know, it's always hard to tell, like, what does selfish mean in the world today? Right. Because, you know, on some level, our goal is to live our best lives. Right. And to do things that are purposeful to us. And so it, it's really hard to put that in perspective. Freedom was definitely one of the themes I saw over and over again. Another theme which honestly surprised me is this idea of regret or more importantly, absence of regret. It sounds like this population very rarely has regrets about their decisions. I, I didn't see almost any regret in the vignettes. Is this also true of your coaching and counseling? Do you see people later in life saying, boy, I wish I had thought this through more. Boy, maybe I could have done it. So we have an annual child-free convention. And pretty much every year, there's a session over 80s and child-free. And you know, they always ask another great question. It's amazing. I think that question comes from outside the community, but we have to deal with it inside the community. And you're not seeing it. You know, so somebody reviewed the book and, you know, they, they was from the outside, actually from Goodreads, and they were said, I was surprised by the lack of regret in the book. And I'm like, well, these people are just giving their lives. And I actually did a separate survey to go with it. And I asked the question, are you happy? Just open-ended, kind of like, are you happy with your life? 94% of people said yes. You would never see that in the general population. Yeah, I wonder what the percentage is in the general population and how that compares. 94 sounds pretty darn high. Like that, that's a pretty yeah, good percentage normally of people. It's less than half happy. are happy, happy with their life. I mean, it, it's, you know, I can't compare apples to apples because of different study designs, but 94% is through the roof. And, and the people that said no, they went on their way to put a note. Hey, it's not because I'm child free or not. It's because like, yeah, I have medical issues or I'm dealing with something else or whatever else, but huge, huge numbers. So my, my take on this is being child free won't automatically make you rich, but it may make you happy. And I talk about it as Marie Kondo in your life. You do stuff that brings you joy and get rid of the stuff that doesn't. And that's a freedom that, I'd be honest, you don't have that same freedom. I mean, you know, maybe once the kids are out of the house, you might have more of it, but. Let's talk about some of the other themes that you saw in your interviews and that we can read about. Um, what is this relationship between growing up poor and being child-free you found these things consistently together. Now, of course, causation and correlation, we don't know if they ride together for other reasons or if one causes the other, but this is something you definitely saw. Yeah, and I see it a lot in the clients. And yeah, I grew up broke, so maybe I'm reflecting myself into some of it. So you got to be aware of your own bias. But people that saw their parents struggle financially often went, I don't want to do that to my kids. And, and that... I, I can follow that logic. Now, correlation causation, you know, we can research to death, but there's this constant theme. And I do wonder the newer generations, the younger generations who are struggling financially, is that going to become a bigger theme? 
of people say, well, I can't afford housing right now. How am I going to afford a kid? <laughs> Good question. I, I don't blame them. You know, if you're still living in your parents' house and you're 30, like, what am I going to do? Raise my kid in, my, in the house with my parents? You know, that's a good debate. I don't know if, you know, like one causes the other, vice versa, but it was so common that I was, that it matches the, you know, 30% of folks said finance was one of the reasons why they chose to be child free. But the way you were raised, your, your reaction to your family is going to help if you pick kids or not. You know, another one that was interesting, little less in the book, but it was more in the survey, was the amount of people that, that cited, you know, personal trauma growing up as reasons for not having kids, which by the way, financial trauma is also, you know, it, it's much of the same, but they were talking about, they don't want to pass on trauma and, you know, generational trauma and, and systematic issues. And I was like, wow, that's some deep stuff. I mean, we, I could probably research that for my rest of my life, just that question. And I think what we're going to see is the more people struggle, the more they're going, Hey, I don't want to put this onto another person. You know, you go to the extreme there's actually a group they call antinatalists. So antinatalists are saying, hey, nobody should ever be born. You know, mm-hmm. They're saying, don't bring people into the suffering. And, and they, they are by nature child-free, but child-free people aren't na- antinatalists. You know? But there's also on the other side, the pronatalists, which people say everybody should have kids. I think in the middle is good discussions, but the antinatalists are of the thought of, hey, you are bringing somebody in, not by their choice, into a life of suffering. And I'm not saying I don't necessarily uh, you know follow that model myself, but I'm going. That's an interesting perspective, especially for those that are struggling financially and other things. I want to talk about financial independence? I'm guesstimating being part of the financial independence retire early community. We often think about could this message go out to the world as a whole? But when you really look at it, only probably a few percentage of people are even aware of it, much less followers of financial independence or fire financial independence, retire early. I found like there were multiple conversations in these vignettes about financial independence. Are child-free people more aware of financial independence and the financial independence movement? I know you discuss file versus fire, and we can talk about those differences, but I felt like the theme interwove with being child-free and personal finance in general, maybe to a higher degree than I would see in the general population. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things you look at is if people who are child-free get out of debt, max out their retirement accounts, and just don't do anything silly, they're on the path to financial independence. Just kind of the nature of the beast. It's simpler. Yeah, it is. I mean, you don't have the outside costs and you just do the right things for a while and you're okay. And I, to the point where I called a lot of the people just did you know, boring finance and we're okay with it. You know, it wasn't called financial independence. It just kind of like did, did the right thing. The interesting thing, and since I've done the book, I've done more research on this. What I'm finding is child-free folks don't really want to retire. You know, there's somebody in the book who retired, you know, in late thirties, early forties, got bored, went back, started a company where Financial independence, retire early, assumes retirement is the goal. And we can have some separate discussions on, you know, barista fire and some of the other things where you're still doing some work. But from a financial standpoint, if you're still doing some work, you're not retired. You know, there's, there's a different math equation there. But what ends up happening is, you know, throughout the book, people are going, hey, I'm just doing the right things. Now what? You know, what, what's the point of life? And we call it the child-free midlife crisis. You get your personal, professional, financial goals. And you know, then you're like, and uh, what's next? 
And for parents, they pass those goals on to their next generation. You know, there's a lot of other things to go with it. But the child-free folks are like, huh. And whether you want to call that financial independence or just good finance, whatever. You know, there, there are people in, you know, in the book talking about you know, the, the kind of the Susie Orman way, who Susie wouldn't say is financial independence. I don't care what name you put on it. But it's the same concepts of just do the right thing, set it and forget it. You'll be fine. And that is something that I see often in the child-free community. And because there is more freedom there, you don't necessarily have to hit that big net worth number to start living the financial independence lifestyle, which gets into your acronym, FILE, Financial Independence Live Early, is this idea that maybe some of these child-free couples are living more of the financial independence lifestyle before they get to the specific net worth number that we normally would use to define financial independence. Yeah. And the the analogy I make is FIRE is kind of like an on-off switch for work. You know, I'm not working or I am. File is more of a dimmer switch. You know, let me find the right thing and invest in me and invest in my life and go back to school and become a librarian or whatever it is, you know, and and be happy with life. And I think what I'm finding is because child-free folks don't really want to retire and as a whole, they don't want to pass on money to the next generation. So this is more that die with zero approach. Their numbers completely change. So the 4% safe withdrawal rate you see a lot in fire doesn't work for child-free folks because that assumes you want to keep the principal. So I'm, I, I don't have a number, but I don't know. Maybe they retired 2% instead of 4%, you know, whatever those things are, it completely changed it. And by the way, all the financial software gets screwed up because all the financial software assumes you want to keep your principal. You want to pass on another generation. You want to retire. Like Monte Carlo simulations, the whole point is to, to run a simulation, say, here's my chance of running out of money. So a 90% success in Monte Carlo is a 90% failure for child-free folks. Because they actually do want to give and live their money and they want to invest in themselves in their life rather than, hey, I just want to sit on a beach and retire. Uh, you know, and, and you're even seeing that in the fire community. There's a lot of discussions recently of people going, yeah, I fired four years ago. And now what do I do with my life? And I'm going, OK, maybe we had the premise wrong. Maybe the premise is how do we invest in ourselves and find a balance? I, my challenge to the fire community, and, and I love the fire community as a whole, my challenge is you take people that are very goal-driven, you point them towards fire, they work really hard at the goal, they hit their goal, and then what? If you don't have something to retire to, you're screwed. Like You, you need to have a purpose. And when people go, well, then I'm going to work on intergenerational wealth. Fine. But for the child-free people, that's not the option. So it changes everything. You know, I'm working on my next book, and it's the Child-Free Guide to Life and Money. And I jokingly say in there, it's a combination of the simple path to wealth and the and die with zero. You combine those two books together and you get a child-free approach to it. And what happens is a lot of the standard assumptions in the financial independence world get turned on their head. Not right or wrong, just different. We are talking to Jay Zygmunt. He's the founder of Child Free Wealth, a life and financial planning firm dedicated to helping child-free and permanently childless people. And we are discussing your personal finances as well as life when you decide not to have children. We are going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? 
Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer-focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. We are back with Jay Zygmunt. He is the author of Portraits of Child-Free Wealth. He is also the co-host of the Child-Free Wealth podcast. And we are discussing what it is like both personally as well as for your finances when you make the decision not to have children. In his book, he presents, what is it, 26 vignettes? Do I have the number right? 26 vignettes of child-free individuals and couples, and they discuss what life is like for them. Jay, many times in the book, you talk about the Gardner and Rose model of partnership for spouses. Talk a little bit about what that is. And I feel like after you explain it, when you have children, you become as the parents, the consummate gardener, and they become the consummate roses. This is a little different when children aren't in the mix. Yeah. And you may have heard of this before as the gardener and the flower. And my wife and I embrace this, but I joke, but it's true. She's not just any flower. So she's in the bro. So that's why it's the garden <laughs> and the rose. And the way we look at it is if you look at historical couples, you know, we go back 50, 100 years ago, there was always somebody providing a support role. You know, there was that one income and then somebody providing support. And it was a gendered. So we're not going to go down that path. 
But with child-free folks, we often get a discussion where if you have two incomes, you can usually live on one and somebody can be growing while somebody else is providing support. So, you know, an example for my wife and I, you know, she's on her career path. You know, she can, she's, we're both PhDs, so we have to live certain places because, you know, when you're PhDs, jobs aren't exactly everywhere you can find. Finding two PhD jobs at the same level, at the same place are nearly impossible. You talk about the trailing spouse and the other. So we embrace the garden of the rose. Right now, she's the rose. She's following her career path. I fortunately can work remotely from anywhere, so that works well. But my primary goal is to say, hey, what support does she need? Which could be everything from literal gardening, take care of the house, take care of everything else, to, hey, you know, you, you want to bounce ideas off, you need support for your career, whatever it is. And when I work with couples on this, it's interesting. The person that needs to turn as a rose, and we usually try to set a timeline, you know, five, seven years, 10 years, whatever, we're going to take turns. But the person who needs to grow, the gardener knows that. They're like, hey, my spouse has for two years needed a change. And by the way, it's not always about like better career or like they might need to, you know, I have somebody who's uh, right now he quit his job and he's doing the AT trail and he's traveling, you know, and that's his like personal growth. That's an opportunity to be the rose. It could be whatever. You know, when I become the rose, we're going to get in a boat and travel the world. It, can, it doesn't have to be career, but usually the gardener knows the rose needs to do it. The roses tend to be a little less willing, let's call it that. You know, my wife will talk about it as, you know, there's a lot of pressure by being the rose. And, you know, she, she'll sometimes say, I don't want to be the rose anymore. I'm like, well, you are like, we already made a deal. Like we're sticking with it, but it's that opportunity to grow. And, and you're probably right with parents. Your focus is on the growth of your kids, rightfully so. So your own personal growth gets put, gets put aside. When I work with child-free couples and going, hey, you know, my, my co-host for my podcast, Bree, she actually keeps a list of how many times I told people to quit their jobs. I'm like, if you're miserable, what doing what you're doing, change. You know, like, well, but I'm making $100,000. I have to keep doing it. I'm like, so you're willing to be miserable for $100,000. No, let's change. You know, your spouse will provide support for a while. Go back to school or go learn something. Take a sabbatical or something. And I think that is something that's unique to the child-free community. Because, I mean, if you're raising two kids and you want to, like, somebody change their career in the middle, you probably can't because you got to make that make ends meet and you got to provide support to the kids. Up until this point, Jay, we've been really talking about internal factors that have led to child-free living. Let's talk about some of the external, specifically COVID. Did it have a large effect, in your opinion, on people's decision to be child-free? I'm not sure COVID did, but I will tell you that the overturn of Roe did. And that came just after the book came out. And I'm in Mississippi where that case came from. If you look at the amount of people getting vasectomies after post-Roe world, it went through the roof. I mean, huge difference. Interestingly enough, there's a challenge. A, a lot of the women have trouble finding an OBGYN who's willing to sterilize them because of judgments and all that, you know, and to the point in some states where they're required to have their husband sign off, which is a separate discussion, you know, like we have politics issues. But what we're seeing is in a post row world, people are going, hey, I want my own, you know, bodily autonomy, reproductive rights. I'm making this choice now. In the child-free community, they joke about it, but it's true. I, I haven't dated in forever, so I don't have a clue dating, but they have these apps now. They want to have in the date, do you have a vasectomy or not as a choice? And like self-select because people are taking, you know, they don't want to take any risks and they're taking control. And I've seen a huge shift in the discussion in a post-real world, enough so that 
I actually had to shift around my company because our governor in Mississippi publicly said, hey, we're not reading your, your mail or tapping your phones, but I'm like, but what? What you come to find out is your financial records, they're regulated so they can pull whatever it is. And even medical records, we're now finding that they can sometimes pull. You know, I had to move my firm from being under uh, the state regulation to being an SEC to protect the privacy of my clients because it's such a big issue. But we're seeing people now go, okay, if I'm not going to have reproductive choice, I'm going to take it in my own hands. And they're making a choice to be child-free and done with it much earlier, which it'll probably take us five or 10 years to see the stats. But there's a recent study out of Michigan looked at adults over 18, and they found just over 20% were child-free by choice. And another about 5% were childless, not by choice. So if Michigan is, you know, representative of the U.S., which is probably pretty close, 25% of the U.S. are child-free or permanently childless. That is huge. In that same study, they found just over, just shy of 8% were LGBTQ+. So we're talking about a community that's three times the size, but people don't know it. And the other part of it is, it's a community people love to judge. August 1st is International Child-Free Day. People don't know it exists. It's been there for 50 years. We sponsored a billboard in Times Square celebrating child-free. And it was interesting. Child-free community loved it. And then people from the outside, like I had somebody post, well, this is a global psyop to get people to not have kids. And you're trying to, and I'm like, dude, we're just trying to live our life. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. And I never put it in these terms, but the post row changes could make being child free disadvantageous, put you under the microscope, put you under further further investigation just because this idea of maybe you're child free because you are somehow aborting searching for abortions mm-hmm. searching to do something illegal i i never thought about the persecution but this would be a community that could be quite affected by some of these laws especially in southern states i actually so we recently sold our house and we're renting and that's kind of one of those fun ones for child free folks buying a house and owning it is a choice not a requirement but when I went to sell my house, I had to take down all my signs and stuff that said child free wealth because worried about judgment. Hmm. You know, the realtor kind of like, mm, this has got to go. <laughs> you know, you, you don't think about those things, but that's in everyday life. It really drives home this point that you make often about how just the act of being child free really takes you out of that predetermined life script that everyone really holds near and dear. And again, I use the term the American dream or the American dream script, but I think they're very closely tied to this idea of there is a right way to live and to choose to be child-free, you've automatically placed yourself outside that bubble. Yeah, we call it rethinking the American dream if you want to go on that path because the American dream is two and a half kids, a white picket fence, and a marriage. 32.1% of child, childless folks will never be married. 32.1% versus 2.5% of parents. Huge difference in just like family structures. And then I get people, well, you don't have a family because you don't have kids. No, we have families. We just have different families. And by the way, buying a house is a choice. And so is having the picket fence and the dog and everything else. Yeah, it really makes you question. And I saw this in some of the vignettes too, like what we define as marriage. Because for a lot of these child-free couples, they don't necessarily need the same exact protections. And they don't necessarily get benefits by actually having the piece of paper signed 
On the other hand, these are people who very much see themselves as life partners. Yeah. If it, you know, ignore the emotional and the love and those reasons to get married. The number one reason I see why people get married is actually healthcare benefits. If they could get healthcare benefits without getting married, they'd probably be okay. Where I also get people that been couples forever, whatever. I get groups, groups of friends, romantic, whatever it is. And that's okay because it's their family, their lifestyle. I will tell you, though, the system breaks down. You know, so if you want to see something interesting, so, so you're a medical doctor, think about it this way. What happens if somebody comes into the hospital, into your practice, and doesn't have a next of kin to make decisions for them? The system just breaks down. Governmental healthcare, and it's one of those I've been working on for about two years, and we're finally making some progress because the problem is who's going to be your financial medical power of attorney? Who's going to make the decisions for you? And you know the legalese that goes around it, and all the fun stuff. But we're talking about millions and millions of people that need somebody to, to fill this role that doesn't exist. You know, the silly example of this is somebody is in a car crash; they go to the hospital. And they can't answer for themselves. Well, next of kin is not there. They're going to go to the government or to the medical policies or whatever they have. But the big question is, well, then who lets their dog out? Like, you know, who like does the basic things that all are taken for granted when you are married with kids? And those are the systematic things that are so far behind. Yeah, I mean, we see this all the time with people who come in with a long time quote unquote spouse, but they never actually got married, et cetera. And then medical decisions need to be made and they're punted to a distant family member because based on our rules, without having the paperwork in place, the distant family member is closer than the person who's lived with them for the last 20 years and has built a life with them. And that that becomes obviously very complicated. I want to bring this back to you and your personal experience writing this book. I, I was going to ask you about personal regret, but after our conversation, I feel like the answer is you probably don't regret your choice, especially knowing your wife's medical history. But tell me a little bit about what you learned about yourself by doing these interviews and writing this book. You know, I actually started this. I, I was doing financial coaching, executive coaching, other things, and then became a certified financial planner. And one of the interesting things to me was, in the certified financial planner literature, the, the educational, it's never once mentioned that people are child-free. It doesn't exist. And the reason I started on the research was I asked the question, you know, so my wife and I were both PhDs, we're child-free. The question I wanted to ask from a research standpoint was, how weird are we? Like, are there other people out there like us? And by the way, we're weird by our own, like, just kind of nature. You know, we're one of the few couples that will be sitting out at dinner and talking about research studies, you know, but I didn't realize there's this huge community. And I actually uh, found there's a Reddit community, it's like a million, million and a half people in the child-free community. And I started posting ads. I said, hey, share what your life is like. I want to interview people. I want to do this. Those ads got flagged as hate speech for just asking what your life is like being child-free. And I didn't even know the term child-free existed at that time. You know, I was like, we're just living our lives. So like, it just is. And now I'm deep in the child-free community and deep in understanding where people are at and working it through. And what I realized, and part of the reason why I wrote the book was there's not a great example out there of like, what does a child-free life look like? You know, what does that work through? And the ter- even, even the term child-free, you know, I fight with the style guides because they put a dash in it and we don't put a dash in it because that implies you're missing something, hmm. you know, or lacking. And Chelsea Handler recently talked about being child-free or childless. And then the Fox News came after her. And, you know, like there's all this stuff. 
you don't realize until you're deep in the community, all, you know, there's a, there's millions and millions of people facing the same issues. And I think that was my big awareness is like, I'm not alone. And I think you, you see that in the book, you know, somebody in there explaining, she had always gone to church, very religious and like, just assumed you have to be a good mother, good father. Like that was what she was preached at. Didn't even realize there was a choice not to have kids. Those type of awareness, you know, we need to be able to just say, it's okay to be you. And I think that's been my big growth of saying, yep, it's okay to be different. There's people out there like me. I'm actually very normal in the child-free community. I'm just very abnormal in the bigger community. Is the backlash from society as a whole the biggest issue that the child-free community faces? I think it is. You know, I did an article for Men's Health, I think it was, and they were talking about it, you know, the dink life. And the biggest issue is everybody has an opinion. You know, so I, I worked in healthcare before and I had a staff member stop me in the hall and say, I've been thinking about you and your wife and you're both really smart and you need to have kids. Yeah. And I'm like, who in the world do you think you are? Like what, you know, this is one of somebody works for me. And somebody said to me, once, want to say, I told the story. I said, well, did you tell HR? I'm like, we worked in HR. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, and, but that's just normal. The judgment, it's one of the few communities that's still okay to judge. And everybody seems to have an opinion. And, you know, I think if, you know, we, we actually have, we call it, we call it the child-free bingo card. We have a bingo card with all the questions we get asked all the time over and over because they're so common. But I think if we can just as a community go out there and go say, yeah, yep, we're child-free. It's okay. We're fine. Leave us alone. And if other people would accept that, it'd be great. Right now in a post-row world, it's been heightened to a point where it's gotten ridiculous. You know, somebody else tried starting a child-free financial planning firm actually in Tennessee, and he had kids. And like his community and church started saying, well, you hate kids and making these judgments. and making." He had to shut down serving child-free folks because it didn't help. And I'm like, yeah, you got to be well, willing to take the beatings. You know, I get people all the time on our social media making judgments. And I'm like, why? Like, what, what did I do to bother you? Well, Jay, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. I very purposefully started this interview with a negative review of your book to really bring up this idea of the backlash, what we've just been talking about. But when I look at my own life and the people around me, a lot of the younger generation is really talking about this as being not only a viable option, but probably the right option for them. As you mentioned, the numbers are actually staggering. We're talking about maybe 25 to 35% of the population who is looking at this as a lifestyle that's appealing to them. And why shouldn't it be? And I think that's the question I really wanted to ask with this episode today. I want to end this episode the way and every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and where we can find you. First and foremost, what is the best way for us to get a copy of Portraits of Child Free Wealth? Yeah, you can download a copy of the ebook at childfreewealth.com slash book. Awesome. And tell me what's going on with the Child Free Wealth podcast. Yeah, so we we are, it's interesting. I, I've been very happy with the response. We're diving into the child-free topics because we're trying to serve, I mean, you do the math, 20% of the US, 25% of the US, and there's 300 million people there. There's a lot of child-free people. And really what we're trying to say is, by the way, it's okay that your finances are different and here's how to do that. And I appreciate people like you bringing us on and going, I didn't realize how different it was. And that's the discussion we're trying to start. It's really this discussion around, hey, there's a different recipe and it's okay. 
And if people want to reach out to you, ask you questions, hopefully thoughtful, logical questions and not hate mail, what is the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, childfreewealth.com and on all socials except for Twitter at Child Free Wealth. And I say at except Twitter because Elon Musk decided childless folks have no uh, stake in the future and shouldn't have a vote. Like, I mean, that's the type of stuff we're dealing with. Well, Jay Zygmunt, thank you so much for being on Earn and Invest today. Thanks for having me. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. All right. I know. I know. I'm going to do the broken record thing here. I've talked about these things before, but I think it's really important when we're talking about child-free wealth. This idea that if you don't have children, it is easier to accumulate wealth or you can do more of what you want to do. In fact, I've often heard people in the personal finance world or the FIRE world, financial independence retire early, almost sneer when they talk about young married couples, especially who don't have children, and they kind of say, well, that's the easy button, right? Of course, they're going to become financially independent and retire early. They don't have kids. What do they have to worry about? It's almost a negative connotation that I get from people when we discuss this issue. And I find it interesting because I think we're making the same mistake that I think we often make with money. And a point that I make often in taking stock, when you make that comment towards child-free wealth, when you say, well, of course they have it easy, they don't have kids, what you're really doing is you're putting the cart before the horse. And I think we do this with personal finance way too often. We put our net worth and our money goals before our purpose, identity, and connections. Again, this sounds a little bit like taking stock, but the whole point of that book was to say that purpose, identity, and connection should come first, and then building wealth around those things should come second. So how does that relate to child-free wealth? Well, the point is people who decide not to have children and thus are getting to financial independence faster or even slowing down and doing the things they want to do before they get to financial independence are doing just that. They're putting purpose, identity, and connections before their net worth. They're making this decision about children because for them, having children doesn't benefit their sense of purpose, identity, and connections. You may morally or ethically agree or not agree with that. That doesn't really matter. The point is, by deciding to be child-free, you're putting purpose first. In this case, it's freedom. Most people who decide to not have kids want the freedom to be able to travel, to be able to do their hobbies, to relax, to pretty much do whatever they want. They're putting purpose before net worth while considering what is purposeful for them and how they want to live their life. The same is true for people who decide to have children. If you decide to have children then in a sense, you're also putting purpose, identity, and connections first because having children fulfills somewhat your sense of purpose, identity, and connections. So again, you are putting 
what's important to you in front of the economics. Of course, having children is going to cost money and is going to slow you down towards fire. But guess what? If you're childless and decide to travel a lot or pursue a hobby, that's also going to slow you down and probably cost you money and keep you from getting to financial independence faster. There is really no difference. So I don't think we really need to talk about child-free wealth. I don't think we have to really consider how that interacts with personal finance if we keep in mind the general theory that we should look first at purpose, identity, and connections, and then use that structure that we've built around living a good life and build our finances around that. I think when we do this, you stop looking at not having kids as a cheat code. It just means that for you, purpose looks like putting your money and energy into different things. Whereas if you want to have kids, then that fulfills you. But in both cases, what's really important is that money comes second. You don't decide to not have kids because it's better financially. You decide not to have kids because it doesn't fulfill you. And if you want to have kids, ultimately, most people decide to have them, whether they can manage it financially or not, because it's important to them, because they put their purpose, identity, and connections first. I think when we look at this decision with this lens, we realize that we're a lot more alike than we pretend, whether you have children or not. Build your finances around what you want to do with your life who you want to be, and what feels purposeful. Kids, no kids, it's a personal choice. All right, I leave things running just for a few moments to catch our after show, whatever we end up talking about. Um, Yeah, you know, I think most people don't realize how big a percentage of the population this actually is. And then... If you are a generally, let's say, quote unquote, a nice person, but not really deep into this, you have no idea what kind of backlash actually exists for people who kind of say, you know what? I don't want to do this. Um, It's surprising. It is. I think the, you know, it's sensational in some cases. You know, the Chelsea Handler, you know, Fox did a whole big old piece on judging childless folks and, you know. Or dried up uterus, like I mean, like they're they're just yeah, like yeah, going. they go they go hardcore, they go all out. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh man. Now the the one that we're working on right now is how to help people who don't have a next of kin with the financial, and medical, all that. So we're kind of creating a child free trust for this reason because it's such a you know they show up in your practice and you're like, I got nothing. Yeah, yeah, you know, and the, the paperwork is there, right? But it's complicated, right? You have to do all the legal paperwork, et cetera. But not only that, but the legal paperwork then has to be available and accessible, and has to follow you to whatever medical center you're at. And so, yeah, there there are lots and lots of hoops. And between you and me, being a physician for a number of years too. There is still the ethos that your doctor is more likely to listen to a close family member than they are to look at your living power of yep. attorney or your your living will. And it's wrong. It's just completely wrong. The whole point of having a living will is you really put down what you want and don't want. But medical practitioners are really hard-pressed to have a parent or a close family member say, no, we want you to keep the life support systems going, etc., even if it's against what the documentation says. So right now... Who ends up being really at risk for that? It's 
people who are not married, right? Yep. Well, or that. Or know, I'm sorry, people who don't have. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. They don't have kids. They're not married. Whatever. But what ends up happening is if you don't have a close family member, you're screwed. Like it just the whole yeah. thing falls apart. And where it becomes even a bigger issue is okay, who decides when you get to put in a home, what type of home, what type of long-term care, all that. Because living wills don't really like they don't. They don't. And in fact, that's why having just a good power of attorney might be your only like having a good financial power of attorney and medical power of attorney who you've had extensive conversations with and have the grit to carry out actually what you want to do are really your only right now or only your really only good outlet. And that's where we're going is interestingly enough, like Texas, none of the lawyers will be medical power of attorney for people Mm. because of the legalese around it. And we're trying to build a structure that's a, the, the medical power and finance power, all that, because, I mean, we're talking millions of people that have this issue. We're not talking like, hey, yeah, there's five no, people on the corner. It's a big case. issue. Yeah. You know, and you know, for the single childless folks, if you don't have a spouse, I don't know. I don't know who makes decisions for you. So, hmm. yeah, I mean, you're, you, you understand it because you've seen it in the healthcare system. It, it, the system breaks yeah. down. It's, yeah. it's sad. You know, and if you let the state make your choices, then you're even worse. <laughs> well, they're certainly not your choices then. They're someone else's choices, right? And those aren't always beneficial for the individual, unfortunately. Yeah. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.